Would you join me this morning in the Gospel according to Numbers? Numbers chapter 4, and the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is in your bulletin. It's one verse. Numbers chapter 4. I was so thankful to get to uh, hear the message this morning from that book of Luke. It took me back a ways. I thought I knew something. And I found out when the gospel was preached, I didn't know anything. I thought I knew about sin, but I didn't know the first thing about sin. I thought I knew about God, but I didn't know the first thing about God. I thought I knew about salvation, but I didn't know the first thing about salvation. I thought I knew a lot, but I found out I was without help, without hope, and without God in this world. Someone came that knew something. something knew something about the gospel and preached it. He did something that every other preacher had never done for me. Left me alone. <laughs> you know, most preachers want to get involved in helping people get saved. They want to be the person who can write down in a bulletin or a letter, look what I've done for Jesus. But people are not saved that way. They're saved alone by God. And this message that we find here in the book of Numbers, so often we find that the message is captured by an individual. And the message is an individual. Now in this fourth chapter, verse 16, there is a man by the name of Eliezer, and he has a responsibility imposed upon him by Almighty God to do a number of things when that tabernacle is going to be moved or when it's going to be set up. And this Eliezer portrays in so many ways, in so many beautiful ways, the ministry of the shepherd of the sheep, the ministry of the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we try to worship. And I am thankful that the Lord himself allows us to worship him in spirit and in truth, because in its in an impossibility on human standards or on human part to worship that God. This last week I had a, a wonderful conversation with a person and he was trying to tell me all that a person can do spiritually. And I said, the Bible says that even a believer can't pray as they ought. A believer. So do you think for a moment that someone can do something spiritual that doesn't have the Holy Spirit and doesn't have salvation from God? The, absolute, the truth of it is absolutely not. A believer can't pray as they ought. So here we have someone that God ordained to do something, and in it portrays the wonderful ministry of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this passage of Scripture, we find that Eliezer is asked to do this. Verse 16 of Numbers chapter 4. 
And to the office of Eleazar, or to his responsibility, the son of Aaron, the priest, pertaineth these things. He is to deal with when they move the tabernacle. He is to deal with when they set the tabernacle up. No one else was given this responsibility, and we find with regards to our Savior that he alone was given the responsibility of saving his people from their sins because they were incapable of themselves. There was no one that had the capabilities of doing that which needed to be done on their own. God looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did seek after him. Was there any that sought him? Was there any that would turn aside unto him? And the commentary that we have from the blessed scriptures, Psalm 14, is he found none. Now that's God's word on the matter. That's not my commentary. That's not Paul's commentary. And that's not Gil's commentary. That's God's commentary on the issue. He found nobody. Why? Because the Lord Jesus never, I find, if you find this, if you show me, I would be glad to know, but I have yet to find that the Lord performed a miracle on someone partially leprous or partially halt or partially crippled or partially blind or partially deaf or partially dead or partially condemned, or partially short. He didn't. They were full leprous. They were crippled. They were deaf. They were blind. They were dead. And with Zacchaeus, we'll look at him in a minute, he was too short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All right, let's look at this now. These four things, and we're just going to spend a little time on the second one. It tells us here, we started it last week. I was sharing with the preacher this morning. The messages that we have here, they are of such that we can hook them up or uncouple them at any point. We're not in a hurry. We want to see Christ. We're not in a hurry. It's not my goal to be through the book of Numbers by December 31st. All right. Verse 16, it says here, These are the things, the oil for the light. Eliezer was responsible for carrying, dealing with this oil that was used for the light in the holy place in the tabernacle. There was a lampstand that had seven knops on it that held oil, and it was not there by its own. It had to be supplied. That's the thing about anything under the law. It had to be supplied. Under grace, it is supplied. Under the law, we can't have oil there unless we put it in. But under grace, he takes care of it, for he is the light of the world. He is the oil of gladness upon our heads. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So we find he's taking care of that oil. He's the one that has the blessing of carrying this oil. And secondly, it tells us there, he has the sweet incense. He's going to carry the sweet incense. And the sweet incense is burnt on the altar of incense in the holy place. And there the sweet odors were sent up. And it would fill that holy place with such odor. 
Well, as I brought out last week, I can't help but think that when Eliezer was carrying this, whatever it was in a bag or a, a, a some some form, carrying it along, that as people might pass his path, they could smell that sweet incense. It was odiferous. It was wonderful. It was pleasing to smell this stuff that was created. And if you turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 30, the book of Exodus chapter 30, which could also be said to be the gospel according to Exodus, would you turn there in verse 30 and we have what is to make up this sweet incense that Eliezer was to carry and which was used by the priest as they burnt this sweet incense on the altar of incense in the holy place. Now, over in the book of Revelation, it talks about that the prayers of the saints are like sweet incense of approaching God, and even those have to go through the blood of Christ. Even those have to be uh, through the Spirit of God. We just can't get there from here. We're limited. Well, Exodus chapter 30 and verse 34, we read these words about this sweet incense. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto these sweet spices, Stachy and Onitcha. You got that in your spice cabinet, don't you? And it goes on, and Gulbanam. These sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shalt thou be to like weight. Each of these sweet spices put together by equal weight in a compound and mixed with frankincense. Thou shalt make it a perfume of confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it into the testimony of the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be the most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Now notice the last verse of that chapter. Wherefore shall make whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. Don't try to make an imitation to this sweet incense. What does that mean? Don't try to make a substitute for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to make a substitute for the blood of Christ. Don't try to make a substitute for the righteousness of Christ. Don't try to make a substitute for the wisdom of Christ. Don't try to make a substitute for the sanctification of Christ. Don't try to make a substitute for any of the qualities and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in a class by himself. Don't do it. And we see that in religion. I practice that in religion to try to make a substitute for all the qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, when God saved me by his grace, he reveals to his people, revealed to me that Jesus Christ is a savior that is in a class alone. No one can be like unto him. Who would you compare the Lord with? Nobody. Don't try to compare him with anybody. And so we have this wonderful uh, smells put together in this 
form of an apothecary, which means pharmaceutical. It was beaten together and then was used as an incense there in the holy place. And here is a man by the name of Eliezer given the responsibility to carry this sweet incense as they move from one place to another place. He was responsible for that. You know, we heard read there in the book of Matthew about a lady coming in with an alabaster box of, of ointment and pouring it on the head of Jesus. And he said, just a few moments later when people said, well, we should have sold that and put that in the church treasury. He says, the poor you have always with you, but she poured it on my body for my burial. You know, earlier than that, we find that someone came in and poured sweet ointment on his feet and wiped it with her hair. And they also found fault with that because if he knew what kind of woman was doing this to him, he wouldn't allow this to happen. But he let it happen because he is a friend of sinners. He is the sinner's friend. He is the cripple's friend. He's the uh, leprous friend. He's the dead person's friend. He is the friend of sinners. And so his head to his feet have been anointed with this wonderful scent. There in the New Testament it brings that fact out. In the Old Testament, we have this man carrying this beautiful smelling, wonderful smelling sweet incense from one place to another, just as the Lord Jesus Christ goes from one place to another in his sweet telling of grace to wherever he goes. We're going to find him demonstrating the grace of Almighty God, and it is so sweet. It was sweet to everyone that he touched. It was sweet to every leper he healed. It was sweet to everyone bent over that he raised up. It was sweet to everyone that he came in contact with that was in desperate need of help. No one else could do it. Well, would you turn with me to the book of Luke as we smell this wonderful, wonderful smell of grace being moved on. This man in the book of Luke chapter 5 I shared with Brother Mike this morning, I'm going to go back and bring out some of the things that he brought out here in the book of Luke. But it's been a year ago, so it doesn't matter, does it? In the book of Luke chapter 5, there is a certain, verse 12, there is a certain man, and I'll notice this descriptive word about this man. There's a certain man. It came to pass that he was in a certain city, Behold, a man full of leprosy. Now, he didn't have it in his fingers. He didn't have it in his feet. He didn't have it in his hair. He didn't have it in his body. He was full of leprosy. Now, to the Jew, to the, to the priests and the Levites, this man was off. Stay away. Don't touch. I can't come in contact with and that is so demonstrative of how the law is on anybody that is in a serious problem. If Even if we're not in a serious problem, the law is still a big problem. Because the scriptures tell us that if we've offended the law in one point, we're guilty of it all. But this man is a demonstration of having a real serious problem. It tells us here he is full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, 
Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now let us ask ourselves this question. Why is the Lord there to begin with? Is it a mistake that he is there? Is it an incident that, oh my goodness, I just saw my friend at that stoplight. He was going the other way and I'm going this way. Was it just a, 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 a chance opportunity? Of course not. With God, there is no chance. With God, there is no misopportunity. With the Lord Jesus in his ministry on this earth for those three and a half years, everything was just according to purpose. You know, I can look at several pages of sheet music for the piano and it means absolutely nothing. I don't know what the sound is. I don't know what the tune is. I don't know what it is. But to a person who knows, it tells you how long to play, how long to hold, how long to do everything that is necessary to make that a pleasing piece of music. Well, when we look at God Almighty, when we look at His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to find out that they have a beautiful piece of sheet music from eternity to eternity that they are working out in absolute concord with one another. There is no notes off. You know, I've, I've read where people that used to record, they would hear a note just a little off, but they couldn't do anything. Now, with the digital age, they can correct one single note at a time if they need to. What a miracle. To me, it wouldn't make any difference anyway. To the artist, it makes a great deal of difference. And so it is with God. For someone to say that God doesn't know what he's going to do the next day, that is a terrible statement about the conductor of this entire world from beginning to end. He knows every note on the piece of music from beginning to end, and he knows how to conduct it for his glory, his honor, and his praise. And, and so it is that in this certain city, with this certain man, there's a divine appointment that God made before the foundation of the world to talk to a man full of leprosy. And he is going to leave the most glorious scent of grace to demonstrate that it is he and he alone that can deal with the sin of his people. He must deal with it. This man couldn't. No doubt he tried all kinds of concoctions. I remember my... Oh, I don't remember her. I was alive, but I was an infant. I had a great aunt that had a serious cancer, and her husband tried all sorts of apothecaries <laughs> instead of a doctor. Guess what? She, just like the rest of us, she died. Well, here's a man. It says, he besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, verse 12 of chapter 5, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand, and this is something that a Levite could not do. This is something that a priest could not do. But the King of heaven, the Lord of glory, the King of kings and Lord of lords, tells us right there, he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. 
What a glorious statement is made here about the activity of God, that it was far beyond the ability of the man to do, but it is in the great grace of God to be able to do everything with great power and demonstration. And immediately the leprosy departed, and he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest. You know, there's one person that kept the law without one error, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he shared with this man that had just been healed by him, you go show the priest, because that priest knows you. He knows all about your condition. He's already dealt with you. You're going to live outside the city. You have no hope around here. We can't do a thing for you. Unclean, unclean is what you are to cry every time you are around people. Unclean, unclean. And he's not talking about those people. He's talking about himself. But the Lord of glory healed him totally and completely. And he said, you go to the priest and you show that priest and you offer the offering that's required by that. And you know what the priest could only do? I don't know how it happened. But clean. You know, to a believer, to one of God's children, they have kept every wit of the law in Christ Jesus. The law has nothing against them. The law can never bring up a, oh, look at that. We have his imputed righteousness. And he has given it so that we are clean before the law. It cannot bring a charge against us. Who shall lay any charge against the elect of God? Not one. It is he that has declared them clean. I will. And he was. Turn just a little further over in the book of Luke chapter 6 and verse 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 6 we have here. There came uh, to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. Now this man, his right hand, now people say, well, his left hand was okay. His right hand was withered. That's what we're dealing with here. His right hand was withered. And that meant it was shrunk up. It was a claw. There was nothing that could be useful about it. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't take care of himself with a withered hand. But we have some sweet smell incense of grace coming this way and one more time on purpose the Lord Jesus Christ arrived at the right place at the right time to deal with this man according to his purpose that was set out in the council halls of eternity he has just reached another page in the music of heaven that God set out when he created the heavens and the earth with the promise of saving every lost sheep that he had and coming out at the other end and saying, I've lost none of them. They're all right there in the line. They're in the right hand. Welcome, thou good and faithful servant. Welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And those on the right hand said, how did this happen? And they all had to agree it's by grace. Not the works of my hands, but by the work of Almighty God. He had a withered hand. It's shrunk. It's wasted. It's withered up. Verse, verse 7, it tells us, And the scribes and the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, 
that they might find an accusation against him. How religion finds accusations against God for doing what he intends to do. How they will find fault with the way he saves his people without their help. How they will find fault with God about his grace, that it is sovereign. How they will find fault with this God, the God of heaven, about salvation is of the Lord and leaves them out of the triangle. How God himself declares that when I save a person, I save them for time and for eternity. When you save yourself, there is just no hope. It tells us here in this passage of scripture in the book of Luke chapter 6, they found a whole group of scribes and Pharisees, religious folks, and they're going to see if they can't find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up, and he stood forth in the midst, and he arose and stood forth. And Jesus said unto him, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? What's he talking to He's talking to a group of people that are planning the demise of this man who is healing on the Sabbath day. Is it right to do good or is it right to do evil? And then he goes on and tells us, stretch out. Looking around about upon them all, he said unto them, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. You know, to this man... This man, the Lord Jesus, that done this, had such a sweet smell of incense. Whether this was before his head was poured with ointment or his feet was poured, there was still a sweet smell of grace about this. He had done nothing to warrant this, and yet God was gracious to him. You know, in the book of John chapter 8, there's a lady that I realized more about yesterday than I've ever seen before. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Here is a lady that is condemned. Do you know what that means? She is condemned by the law. She is to be taken out and executed. She is to be executed under the law of God by being stoned to death. What's her crime? Let's read here. John chapter 8. And this is a capital offense under the law. This is a capital offense under the law. In fact, everything, every sin is a capital offense under the law. This is just one. But she is already condemned. She is being taken to the temple for stoning. She has her accusers against her. They have taken her in a very, very sin and brought her. She's condemned. She knows that the end is near and she will be stoned to death for her great sin. No, I just never thought. There's, here's a lady that's just going to go up there to the temple with these guys. But they have something in mind. Notice here in John chapter 8, and there in verse 3 it says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery when they had set her in the midst. 
They're headed for the temple, it tells us in verse 2. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him and sat down, and he taught them. Now he's not inside the temple. People weren't allowed to go inside the temple. This temple represented him, but even he was not allowed to go in there, even though he ruled the place. He sat down outside in one of the porches there, and he was teaching people, and here come some Pharisees and scribes and brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. This is a capital crime. This is a death sentence. We have the right to take her. Now, it's by God's grace and God's grace alone that they were drawn aside to speak to the Lord Jesus because they had every right under the law to take her right to the priest and have her condemned and taken out and stoned to death. God intervened here with such grace that Jesus Christ is absolutely in the right place at the right time to deal with the problem that these Pharisees and scribes brought before him. Jesus told a whole group of people to men, he said, if you commit, if you think in your heart about this very thing, you've already committed it. He took it to a whole new level. What he's saying is sin is in the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It is the heart that condemns us. We're sinners in the heart. That's why we need a new heart. That's why God in salvation, God in the new birth, gives us a new heart. So here we have this woman brought before the Lord, and it tells us of this wonderful experience. Now, she's condemned. Just remember that. She has a death sentence. She has an A in her forehead. She's been brought before, the, going to be taken before the council, and here, by God's grace, they stop for a moment to see what he would say. This leader, can we find fault with him? Verse four of, of the, uh, or verse five. Now Moses in the law commandeth us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They're not doing this to be nice. They're doing this to find fault with the Lord Jesus. This they said, tempting him that they might have an ac- uh, accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now there's been a lot of speculation about what he wrote there. Many people feel like he started with the oldest one in the group down to the youngest one in the group and started writing their names upside down so they could read them. Bill? Tom? Jim? Eliezer, Norm. He wrote, stooped down and wrote. Now it goes on to tell us here, she's a condemned woman. The law has her ready for execution. Just like everybody that has ever been born, the law has us for execution. The law is not our friend. The law is 
going to be just. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. He stooped down and it said in verse 7, So then they continued asking him. He lift up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Now who did that exempt from the formula? He that is without sin cast the first stone. Who did that exempt? Him, the Savior. He's not going to cast a stone at one of his sheep. He's not going to cast a stone at one of his lambs. He's not going to cast a stone at one of those that he loved from eternity. He's not going to cast a stone for one of those whose names were written down in the Lamb's book of life. He is going to be righteous with them and he would take the punishment. He will take the stoning. He will take the beating. He will take it upon himself. But he will not cast a stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now he took Tom and put a last name. And Bill a last name. There's going to be no question about who he's writing. Now I don't know what he wrote on the ground. I read one time that he wrote the words of amazing grace on the ground. (laughs) Whatever he did, it got their attention. They are stopped in their tracks. They have no more interest whatsoever of taking this woman, taking in the very act a condemned woman before the court and having her stoned to death. For it goes on to tell us here, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest. Isn't that interesting? Beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, does he ask this question to get information? Or is he declaring a truth for us? Yes. Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, The only way he could say this is because she is one of the sheep. Those on the left-hand side are going to hear great condemnation. Those on the right side will hear no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. What does that mean? He's going to take our condemnation. He took our condemnation on the cross. He took the justice that was due her and had it put upon him. He bore her sins upon the cross. And so he says, therefore I condemn thee not. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. And then the very next verse, he says, I am the light of the world. As we continue on, we find that there are many incidences found in particularly the New Testament, but the Old Testament is full of them too. The book of Acts chapter 11 lists a host of people that by faith, now that's the only way that that could be written about them, is because God met them 
in their downward spiral and interceded for them, behalf of them, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. This is an intriguing passage of scripture. Luke chapter 19. You know, there's been some people that have walked the face of the earth that have been pretty tall. I think the record is over eight feet. A giant that was eight feet. I know that Goliath was pretty tall. Let's just say, anybody over ten feet tall in their stock and feet are going to heaven. We look around... And we find none. <laughs> well, he's seven feet four inches and plays for a basketball team. Sorry. Not tall enough. Well, that person over there, the giant, the, the, he didn't live to be but more than 33, 30 years old or something like that. It was eight foot and two or something like that. I've seen him stand by his parents and he's just, whoa, pictures of him. But he doesn't meet the standard. The standard, the standard that we have is you meet the righteousness of Christ. Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You have no salvation. And the only one that met, went beyond that is the perfect righteousness of Christ. Now turn with me here to the book of Luke chapter 19 for just a few moments. Luke chapter 19 and verse 2. And behold, there was a man. Oh, Jesus is going through Jericho. He's in a certain place, passed, entered through and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus needs to smell that sweet incense of grace. God has it on his plan for this day. He's had it in his plan, in the works. He's reached this page of the music of heaven, the music of grace. He's come down to Jericho, passed through it, and there's a man by the name of Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich, and he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. You know, we're all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one can meet the standard. Not one can meet the standard, and the standard is Christ. He's the perfect Son of God. I'll never have any hope of reaching that. But, you know, I've got a little righteousness. Sorry. He was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree. You know, that's nothing more than what Adam and Eve did. Can't see from where they are. Not clothed from where they are. We'll clothe ourselves. We'll climb up. We'll do something. And Jesus came to the place and looked up and said unto him, saw him and said unto him, I have a feeling that Zacchaeus was doing all he could to hide among those branches while he's up in that tree. 
To be inconspicuous. I want to see him, but I want to be inconspicuous. And you know what? This Savior sees through the trees. He said there, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was of the past that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, How did he know his name? How did he know where he was? How did he know what to do and what to tell him? And how did he know that he even had a house? Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And when that happened, can you just smell the sweet incense of grace? He is a publican hated by his own nation, hated by his own family. He's a tax collector for the Romans. He is yuck. And yet the Lord Jesus deals with these folks. So as Eliezer passes from one place to another, how far did they travel in a day? How far did they go before they set it up? There's very little information about that. But I know from the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ to the end of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, every step he took, there was some beneficiary that was going to appreciate the sweet scent of grace. Thief on the cross. He was a condemned man. He wasn't waiting for some trial. He'd already been tried. He wasn't waiting for some priest to condemn him. He'd already been condemned and nailed to a cross. And there by the grace of God, he said, Lord, remember me when thou enterest thy kingdom. And he says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, for us today, what is there? I love what the Apostle Paul said in the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. And also seen of me. Great host of folks there that saw the Lord. And the Apostle Paul as Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And also, last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. By the grace of God, he goes on to say, I am what I am. And he enjoyed the sweet scent of grace is the rest of his life. Just like every believer, by grace and by grace alone. Amazing grace, sweet grace, sweet scent of grace, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. And in that day, when all of his hosts stand on the right hand side and are welcomed into glory, by grace, by grace alone. I am what I am. Brother Mike.